Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. This week's episode is about voting markets. As we all know, governance tokens have emerged in the past two years and have now become a widely used mechanism that allows people to express their voting preferences and opinions on major protocols. Since voting tokens have emerged, we've also seen the emergence of certain markets that facilitate the lending and borrowing of votes. And today I'm very excited to welcome on the creator behind one of these projects, Romain. He's the founder of Paladin, which is the the first protocol to offer governance tokens and increase utility by allowing people to both borrow and supply them for the specific purpose of voting. So super excited to chat with Romain today and welcome. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me. I'm also super excited to be here and to uh, chat about uh, governance in general and voting markets. As a higher view at Paladin, we're trying to democratize activism by reducing the friction of access for people. And we think that in the current market, the most relevant approach was to create a voting market. So this began with Paladin that we released four months ago, and that's compatible with Uniswap, Compound, Aave, and Idle. So most of their governor, uh, uh, Bravo architecture uh, governance. And then we released uh, something a bit similar for Curve, which is called Warden, and that is essentially now a boosting market. So from a high level, could you talk about what Paladin is and what voting markets even are? Yeah, we're actually breaking the myth of the valueless governor's token. I do think it's a myth or even a meme in the sense that they are clearly not valueless. As long as you have a treasury, as long as you have a valuable IP, as long as you have a dynamic community, as long as you have a brand, the governance token usually controls all of these. So it means that the governance token has a value, not just something that's a speculative premium, but something we could call the governance premium. And what we're seeing in general in the market is that there is a very low turnout. Most people don't actually participate in governance in general. So it means there's actually, I would say, a high EV play where you could just come in and just participate in the DAOs. And because there's a very low amount of people who are actually participating, you have much more impact with less governance token. So what we're essentially trying to do with Paladin is enable people to participate in governance and to amplify their their reach, their influence. When we talk about a voting market, which is what we have designed, by selling the delegation from people who don't currently use their voting power and letting them have an extra yield against it, we're creating a market for influence and we're enabling people to have a higher reach in this governance. You could almost see it as leverage voting. Super interesting. So it's something that, that I've certainly thought a lot about. And I think directionally, I'm, I agree that increasing participation and the, the accessibility of governance is an important goal to work towards. But one question I do have is, is it reasonable or honestly even fair to assume that there will be hundreds or, or thousands of really active voters in DeFi or, or other protocols? Because a lot of the governance decisions have a higher bar to, to understanding the decisions and the proposals themselves. And the limiting factor isn't necessarily how much voting power they can have. Yes, that's probably one of the biggest questions today in the governance game. 
in the sense that there will be hundreds of people participating in governance, but not in the same governance. And uh, we can see this even in the biggest protocols, what we call the blue chips that have a, uh, the biggest ones have maybe 200 people participating in each vote, but they have tens of thousands, even if not hundreds of thousands of actual holders. It's not actually a bad thing. We can see this from an, our experience at Paladin because we already started decentralizing and we have around 60% voter participation, which is a lot. But if you actually look at it, it's around 40 addresses that are voting out of something like a thousand holders. So what's actually happening is that if you really want to scale your governance, you need delegation and you have to push people to delegate. You have to push them to say, you do not care about governance or you do not have enough time to participate. And that is totally okay. You should either trust your governance power to a delegate who's going to do it for you, or you absolutely do not care about the governance process and you should just lend the tokens out. That's the two options you should have. But actually not doing anything with your token is the least effective thing you can do for the governance in general. And just to double click on, on that last point, why is abstaining from a vote ne like necessarily bad? And I don't mean to, to, to nitpick with you here, but if I hold a bunch of governance tokens and I'm not sure how to evaluate something, or I don't have a strong opinion, maybe selecting to abstain from that vote is sort of making a decision, right? As opposed to, to delegating that power to, to someone else. Oh, absolutely. Not taking a decision is a decision in, in itself, right? What I'm trying to get at is that the truth is that DAOs are usually built to be sustainable. And when you're creating a DAO, you're creating something that should be long-lasting and that's going to need as much external contribution, by which, mean, by which I mean contribution outside of the core team, as possible. So it is extremely valuable for a DAO to receive people who are voting, to have people that are creating proposals. And abstaining does not create value. It could destroy it, but it will not create value. What you're talking about is the fact that some people on most topics are totally ignorant. And the truth is that we all are ignorant on 95% of all the topics, right? And that's the whole point about creating a delegation system at scale. It's that it's the only way to create a reasonable way to have, I would say, a quote-unquote professional that's going to have taken an informed decision. So I do think the problem is more about having a very clear and transparent system of delegation that shows you what's the, the belief that someone has on certain topics than actually enabling everyone to vote. Everyone uh, voting is uh, one of the biggest topics in democracy. Should we all have a voice? What we personally believe on the financial markets in, for Paladin is that everyone should have the ability to have a voice, but not everyone should be obliged to have this voice because it is not always relevant. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. I think it is very important to, to give a real voice to your most active and knowledgeable contributors, even if they don't necessarily have a huge amount of the underlying token. I think oftentimes they don't, right? If I work for a DAO and I'm getting paid in the native token, I probably have to, to sell a decent amount in order to pay taxes and in, in order to, to fund myself, pay rent. Like these are all costs that larger funds or, or entities don't necessarily have to worry about on the same time scale. Yeah, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. So what markets uh, is Paladin starting with? Like what assets 
and, and types of, of governance voting systems are you guys supporting initially? So initially we started with Uniswap, Aave, Compound, and we added Idle Finance very recently. This is because these were we, uh, the, some of the biggest DeFi protocols that had the most vibrant community and uh, that actually had uh, the most, I would say, valuable governance in the sense that there is interest in controlling the governance because of the treasury side size because of the actual proposal rate that people are simply participating. And another thing that I think is very important and that we don't take into account is that simply people do not agree with each other. And that is extremely important because if you look at some DAOs, especially at the beginning, everyone just votes yes. So you're just seeing a lot of people participating or not a lot, but everyone is just voting in the same direction because they trust the dev, they trust the idea, and it's a bullish moment. So everyone's pushing in the same direction. And then at some point, some people start seeing differently. Some people want short-term profit. Some people have a different long-term vision than what their actual core team has set out to do. And what becomes interesting at that point is that you're going to start having governance conflict. And that's when the actual governance token becomes valuable for a voting market because there is conflict and because people do not agree. And it's healthy. A DAO should not be a unidirectional voting uh, mechanism. It should be built on top of conflict, on top of discussion. And this is what is going to enable the system to be much more resilient. I like to say anti-fragile. And it's also what's going to create value for the token. This is why you, your token will get appreciated because you have people who want to accumulate the governance token to be able to stand their ground. And at the same time, this is why you're going to have a vibrant voting market. And you mentioned that you guys uh, started with supporting some of the major DeFi protocols first, like Uniswap, Compound, Aave, as well as Idle. What are your general thoughts on, I, I agree there is a, a fair amount of activity in some of these governance systems, but there's all, I'm, I'm sure there's also some things they're, they're not doing well. So what are your general thoughts on the state of governance in those protocols and what could be improved? We're expecting a lot of things from the governance of these protocols. And the truth, at least that's my observation, is that these protocols have scaled in terms of size and in terms of revenue much faster than they've been able to scale in terms of governance quality. If you look at the oldest governance system that are really into the, the generation we're in right now, they're maybe two years old. And at the same time, you have billion dollars protocol who are making uh, sometimes tens of millions of dollars a year, right? So the truth is that I think the actual governance system is not mature enough compared to the size of the protocol. And that's the complicated stuff as a contributor and also as a, as a builder now is seeing the difference of uh, we're basically playing catch up in the sense that we have to scale more. We need much more people participating in the governance and much more people contributing than we're actually doing. And probably one of the biggest problems with that is that in our mind shift, we're more talking about marketing, about, for example, liquidity mining, how we should throw token around to attract people, to attract liquidity. But the truth is that probably the biggest spending part of our budget should actually be contributors. And I do think there's a world where you're going to have big DAOs who are going to spend enormous amounts on contributors, 
And we've seen that, for example, with, with Compound, who's been uh, actually discussing, I forgot to check if it passed or not, about, for example, working with GFX labs. And I think you guys do something very similar at Trevery. And you guys actually bring high value to these protocols. And that's why you can actually participate and bring this value. And we should have more of people like you, in the sense, professional political, uh, protocol politicians. Yeah, could, could not agree more. I think, yeah, like you're... You, you brought up a really good point that the growth of these projects has really outpaced the just like the the initial governance specs and, and frameworks. And it's not an apples to apples comparison, but if you look like if you compare crypto governance systems to to traditional forms of of corporations or even just human political governance, like those systems took decades to get up and running and and, and fix. And there's still a lot of things that are, are incomplete and, and can be improved there. So definitely expect this to be a, a long-term continuous project. So if I'm, let, let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like an average user of one of these protocols, I might own some tokens, but I have a bunch of ideas what the protocol should be doing. I try voting, but I don't have a lot of tokens. I don't have enough to propose. How should I think about using Paladin? So Paladin is really designed as a simple, I would say, quote unquote, vote, vote approach in the sense that you can just go into the protocol and deposit your tokens. This is especially effective, for example, with our stake Ave Vault, because there's a safety module revenue on top of it. So you can actually get the safety module revenue that's auto-compounding plus the Paladin fees. And then uh, we're working on with integrations for our wrapper. For example, you can go on APYne and uh, get fixed yield for your derivatives. You can uh, go into Curve and provide liquidity between the Pulse Stake Ave and Ave. So there's a ton of options. And the, the idea is really to do something, a very simple vote that is just going to enable you to acquire more governance token. That's the side of the depositors. If you want to buy, it's a very simple approach too. You just choose how much time you actually want to take your position in, and then you just have to pay in the native governance token or in USDC or if if you want to leverage. The idea is that today, governance is still participation, and I would say more than voting, it's still the Wild West. I am very thankful for uh, platforms like Snapshot to exist because they simplified a lot just the approach of voting. Because voting on chain with the current gas prices is bad practice for us to have a very large number of people participating. And we're seeing this. Even the biggest protocols that do not use snapshots are struggling to have a lot of people participating because you cannot afford to spend $10, $15 on each vote. It's just too expensive. So what becomes really interesting is that we have now Snapshot who's making a transition from an off-chain voting platform to something that is going on-chain on StartNet, which means that it's going to be almost free to vote but with the same platform. And that's why I think that today it's going to be very hard for any other platform to catch back on Snapchat because they did most of the job right. It's very simple, it's very cheap, and there's very little friction. But that's just one small aspect of governance, right? And there's hundreds of different other aspects that have not scaled and that still have so much friction that make governance very complicated to use. Yeah, definitely interesting to see Snapshot launch Snapshot X, I think. It's been historically the the simplest way for any new protocol to to, to bootstrap a cheap, efficient way of, of getting just getting like an opinion and temperature check from 
from their contributor base. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how, how Snapshot evolves as the underlying governance voting systems evolve as well. So on the specific topic of the voting markets, like there's been some discourse about it publicly on the forums and on Twitter for various projects. And some people refer to it as bribery, which may or may not be, be accurate. But how do you think about the terminology for what Paladin is, is working on and for the general idea of borrowing and, and lending governance tokens? So as everyone will see in the next few minutes, I am very passionate on the term bribery. First of all, in crypto, bribery designs uh, is something very specific. It's, uh, it was, at the beginning, the act of buying the gauges on Curve. That's how Andre Cronje created it. I think it was uh, last August. It scaled a lot, especially with, with Vochman Convex. And now we're seeing everyone trying to build what they call bribes on different protocols, for a bit of everything, but most of what is designed uh, is uh, designated as bribery is actually what we like to call vote lending. First, as a adoption point of view and a legal point of view, calling vote lending bribery is an extremely bad idea because it shows very bad signaling to the outside market, saying that in crypto we accept bribes, which is not true. Bribes are actually paying public officials to stray them away from their public duties. And token holders, most of them do not have any duties per se, and they're far from actually being public officials. So the definition is very wrong. We like to use it. I think it's very dangerous because it might scare off some people and attract the wrong crowd, by which I mean sometimes regulators will look at it and say, what is this ecosystem where people get bribed and uh, are very happy about it? What's interesting to notice is that there is a very strong incentive for people to lend out their gauges. And that's something that has been obviously very successful. What we call the curve wars is essentially people who are buying their way into the gauge because it is a lucrative approach. It's not lucrative because you just earn CRV, right? It's lucrative because as a stable coin, the more part of the gauge you own, the more you're going to be able to distribute stable coins and you're the better, you're the more interesting farm you're going to be for stablecoin. The example is Frax, who has been overwhelmingly bribing the different stakeholders, especially on Convex, and who now has around 44% of the curve gauge. Because they have 44% of the curve gauge, they're distributing enough CRV to, I think, distribute, uh, to have $3 billion of depth in their curve pool, which means that their stablecoin is extremely stable, even for very large swaps. So the interest for Frax is that they have a very stable stablecoin, which is the whole point, right? But it's not because it's working for stablecoins on Curve that it's going to work for other projects on Curve. And we're seeing a huge expansion of different uh, new projects, especially with the Curve V2 pool on Curve. And now we're seeing a lot of people adopting the Curve tokenomics, partly because they want to get bribed. But it's not because you copied the V token model that people will start caring about your project or about your token, right? I think that's a great point just around the V staking and just the curve model has been analyzed thoroughly in the past few months. And I'm seeing a lot of new projects, new proposals attempting to, to replicate certain parts of it. I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say that it's been fairly successful and useful for curve in the short term, right? Like the curve emissions are a, a huge part of 
of driving rewards and utility towards other projects like Yearn and Frax. And that's forced a, a lot of members of those communities to, to take an active role in, in curve governance and learning about it and, and contributing about contributing to it and ensuring its long-term success. But on the other hand, like some people are very against V staking and and think that like it's sort of a zero-sum game where you have a fixed amount of rewards that honestly it could be more efficient. Like there there are probably more efficient ways of deciding where those allocations go instead of having projects play like almost just like a, a political game. What are your thoughts on on people that that feel that way? What I find interesting with the V token model is that it's it's gamifying uh, the governance game, quote unquote, which is something we're working around a lot with Paladin. We think there's a huge incentive for projects and protocols and active contributors in creating a game where people will actually want to participate in. And the Curve Wars has effectively been very interesting. What's actually valuable in the Curve Wars, and that's, I think, uh, is one of the main points that we could discuss potentially in this podcast, is that it's not about fighting or about the CRV token or even about the stability. It's about attention. It's about the fact that every day, every week, we're going to have new articles talking about it. New people that are going to fight, that are going to create the large budgets for bribes or that are going to make large buys of the token. It's about being able to create constant attention. So I agree a lot with the people who say that the V2- token model is a real zero-sum game. For most users, for the Curve protocol, it's a super positive sum game. But for most other protocols, the more V-tokens model we're going to create, the more we're going to dilute the attention in general. So the more lucrative and the more beneficial it's going to be. To go even further in that logic, what I think is one of the most technical and smart things about the V-token model is the fact that we're pushing people to lock. So when you have users who lock on the long term, they're aligning their resources on the long term with you. So they're incentivized to talk about your project. They're incentivized in contributing. They're incentivized in doubling down because they already have quote-unquote sunk cost if your project does not work out during their, their lock period. And because crypto is going so fast, is evolving so quickly, it's going to become very hard for most projects to actually stay relevant on a one, two, or four-year timescale. So the whole challenge is that you have to lock people but you have to give them rewards and reassure them that it's going to be valuable for the next few years. Curve works because there's a 300 years emission and there's a protocol that has very little potential upgradability. So you know what you're getting into when you lock into Curve. But this might be dangerous, uh, dangerous and different for a lot of new projects that are going to do this. Yeah, I mean, that, that is an interesting point that one of the main benefits for the Curve Wars, for Curve itself, is just the attention and interest it brings in it and it forces people to to really learn how curve works. Um, I think that's a very fair point in the same way that people talk about how like speculation is very important to, to bootstrapping crypto broadly, right? Even if protocols don't have a, a ton of utility initially, the, the, the initial speculation and, and trading of these assets helps create interest in how these technologies work, which attracts developers, which results in truly useful things being built on top. So I, I do see some parallels to, to what you're describing here with the Curve Wars. But to your other point, that for some projects, the V staking model doesn't make sense. 
what kinds of, it, it feels like to me, one of the most important things to consider when designing these systems is whether people really care about your emissions, whether your token is something that other protocols are, are actually dependent on, right? Like, again, Curve Curve is, the Curve token is, is heavily used in other protocols like Urine and Frax. But I think for a lot of other protocols um, doing liquidity emissions, those rewards don't just aren't as important or, or useful to other projects. I think it's about creating value for your token. So it's not just about having uh, the token that gives uh, that has a price or that can give you access to some fee sharing mechanism. It's about literally creating value for the protocols. And what the CRV token give is access to the gauge. Because you have access to the gauge, you know you're, ga- you're going to be able to create a stability for a token, for example. And you know that if you don't need it, you're going to be able to sell that gauge access to someone else. So that's why you're so incentivized to do it. And there's a ton of different protocols on which this could work. Let's look, for example, at Ribbon. That was, I think, has been uh, their locking system was, uh, was live today. Ribbon is going to be extremely interesting, and a lot of DAOs are underestimating this, because by controlling the Ribbon gauge, you're going to be able to control the flow of hedging. And this is going to be interesting because it's going to mean that if you own a part of the Ribbon gauge, you're going to be able to own a part of risk control. I'm not sure I'm making totally sense, but I think a lot of people will realize how valuable this is. And I'm saying this as someone who does not hold any Ribbon token. Right, so I am very sad about this, but I can give you another example. As Paladin, and I think that's mentioned uh, something you mentioned beforehand. Uh, there is a very interesting play, especially with the V token model, but with tokens in general, uh, where you can actually play what you call the breedonomics game, which means that because you have a token, you can make liquidity mining. You're going to create value, you're going to attract value, and at some point, the value you attract. Uh, because of the price you pay, becomes more valuable than what you're actually paying. So you can either stop emissions. Or it's just that it's a net positive for the protocol. And that's kind of the game. At Paladin, we tried a different game. We did not release a token at first. And when we released it, it had no value. It still has no value. And it will not have value until the 21st of March, at which point we'll do an LBP for the price discovery. But we do certainly feel that we've hit a wall in terms of what we can do without mercenary capital. And almost all of crypto in general is run by mercenary capital by what we could almost call the speculative economy, right? But if we want to create something truly new and not just hyper-capitalism slash almost, I would say, Wall Street 3.0, we're going to need to transition away from pure speculative economy and building real long-lasting products that have an impact that is higher than simply just making money to other people. And what we're trying to do with Paladin is enabling the people to contribute in all of this protocol and basically enabling the sustainability of DeFi and crypto in general by empowering the contributors. And the utility of our token is going to be very simple. It's as a protocol politician, as someone who wants to keep participating in DAO, you have an interest in holding PAL token because it's what's going to reduce your friction of participating in different different DAOs, in accessing the gauge, in participating in a vote. And I think that's very important. And every protocol who's listening and who's thinking about the V-token model should not think about the V-token model, but their utility. You have to think, who wants my token? How do I put it into their hand? And how do I align them to myself? And usually the best way to align is through locking. And that's why everyone is raving about the V-token model. Because 
locking creates certainty. I am sure people will be aligned with me for one year, two year, four year. Yeah, I, I do think there, there are many considerations to, to think about when designing any sort of staking or, or locking system with, and the most important factor is, 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 as you said, like what is the true utility of the token outside of these factors? Because if there's no underlying utility or demand for my token, simply adding like staking or, or locking mechanism that allows for greater rewards, like that's not a very sustainable strategy. And I think we will see in, in the next like few years that a lot of projects aren't thinking about it the right way, right? I mean, if you look at the, the landscape of, of tokens out there, I think a lot of them haven't found true utility. There's probably a, a handful among any certain among any specific category, but I think we'll see that. Yeah, simply, if you don't have true product market fit, adding in arbitrary staking mechanisms and and trying to incentivize long term holders, it it's not going to to make or break your protocol. Yeah, that's very true. My concern is that we're seeing a huge wave of locking systems that are that are appearing, and that you could very easily have a bad actor who is going to lock in people and these people are simply going to get going to get stuck. I think we can expect some very strong rocks happening with the locking system. So it's interesting because it might not actually just be an expected rug in the sense that the team is actually aware they're rugging. It can just be like so many people locked and then they realize that the protocol was not working and now all the value is locked. That's that's the complicated part is that we're actually creating something that's very that worked very specifically on Curve. And arguably, when you listen to the Curve team, they're telling you that what happens with Convex is breaking the utility and the value of the actual VCRV model because the VCRV was designated as a non-liquid token. And when you aligned yourself, you were really aligned because you had all of this voting power. And what Convex did is that they tried to make the VCRV liquid through their own platform and to optimize the locking. So the problem with that is that it's actually a centralized approach to a decentralized project. So what we tried to do with Warden was uh, let's try to give the ability to any yield aggregator, DAO, or large user to have the same capacity as Warden without actually using that kind of layer two centralized piece of software. Instead, you could just use Warden, which is a decentralized money Lego that is go just going to offer a new voting power, a new boosting power to other people who would need it. And what's super cool with this approach is that we started with VBoost, which is the, just the boosting power on Curve, but we can go very, and we will go very easily full stack up to the other utilities of CRV. And we kind of expect, and we've been in discussions with other protocols, that this could be generalized to different VToken models if they have a real utility behind them. But this is going to necessitate time because we need to assess how, how functional the tokenomics is. To give some context to listeners, what is Warden? Yeah, so Warden is our latest app that we've released uh, one month ago and that enables VCRV holders who are currently not farming on Curve to delegate their boosting power. So as a VCRV locker, you have access to four different privileges. The first one is admin fees. The second one is control over the governance, so it's governance power. The third one is the gauge. So when we talk about the Curve Wars, 
Essentially, it's about the gauges. And this is what bribes do, etc., etc. And the fourth one is boosting power. The more VCRV you own, the more you can boost and earn extra yield on top of what you're farming on Curve. And we're enabling people who are not actually farming to sell their boost to other users. So it's actually very interesting because it means that if you want to optimize your farming strategy on Curve, you don't actually need to log VCRV anymore. You can just buy them away from people. So if you don't intend to farm on Curve on the long term, you can just buy the VBoost for a shorter term. But the other way around, if you're hesitating of locking because you don't know if you'll be able to extract the full value during four years, you can just think of it this way. As long as I need to do it, I can farm my own self and then I can sell the boosting power, I can sell the gauge power. So what we're trying to build at PAL in general, and that's what we've been trying to do on the, with the Arsteka Ave pool, and what we're trying to build now with our VToken slash VCRV food stack approach, is a positive feedback loop that are going to push users into aligning more with the protocol and being able to extract as much value as they potentially could without creating new complexities for the protocol, without new centralized problems, etc., etc. So with Warden and with the core Paladin product, what are the kinds of proposals or activities that you want to see users doing? What kinds of changes should they, or if they want to make a specific proposal, they'll go to, to Paladin and be a user? You know, it's maybe a bit crazy to say, I think we haven't been very original in the type of proposal we could make. What's extremely interesting with governance is that it is controlled by smart contracts, which means that there are certain rules against and for of the things we can do, but we can play around them and we can find some very interesting synergies and proposal types that have not been experimented before. So the whole problem about this is that it's complex. Today, creating a proposal, most of the time, if you want to create a complex proposal, you also have to bring the code that goes with it. So you have to prepare it especially if the core team does not agree with uh, the proposal you're bringing forth. So creating proposals is not limited. It's not, it's not available to everyone. But once we'll be able to reduce the barrier of entry to these kind of things, I think it's going to become more interesting. We've seen a lot of the, I would say, the easy proposals that have been appearing on Curve, on Aave, which were about basically listing new assets. And when you list a new asset, especially on Aave or on Compound, what you're doing is that you're saying they don't need that much liquidity because instead a new exit route for the liquidity is depositing into a lending protocol and taking out stable coins. So it can be interesting for investors, for core team or for big whales because it allows them to access to new liquidity without actually dumping on the market. It has extremely high values and that's why you're seeing people who are ready to pay quite a lot to push for these new assets. But, but there's a lot of things we haven't explored yet. We've had a, a very brief stint where there was discussion, especially in the compound community, about doing what they called, I think you guys did a very interesting podcast on this that was called B2D, right? Or it was BD2D. B2DAO, yeah. B2DAO, right? So there's this whole opportunity when we're saying that you could actually just come to the DAO and you could create proposal to create business. The problem with that, and we've been seeing it, for example, I think more with the example, there was large discussion with between Gauntlet and the Ave governance about the value of a very specific service. And the problem is that most of us stakeholders usually don't have an idea of how much could cost a very high value to, uh, service. So we can be a bit shocked about the value. But when you think about it, 
and when you see, for example, the value of Compound, it is understandable that it should be a million dollar, a multi-million dollar contract to guarantee the security of something that is hosting billions and billions of dollars, right? It's very relevant. But for most users in crypto, our risk profile is very high. And this is something you can see very easily. In tranching protocols, you usually have a senior tranche and a junior tranche. So the senior tranche has very little yield and very little risk. And the junior tranche uh, has a lot of risk and a lot of uh, more yield. What protocols did is that they looked at the, uh, at the behaviors in traditional finance and they said, let's put liquidity mining on the junior tranche because it's the most dangerous and no one will touch it. And what we're seeing is that in almost all of these protocols, everyone's going into the junior tranche that's more risky because there's more yield and no one cares about the senior tranche because the risk profile of crypto, of crypto users is extremely high. They, they don't really care. And that's why we see most projects that do not invest enough in security. We see that most projects don't invest enough in contributors. And instead, they go all in on the yield, on the revenue opportunity. And I think that's something that's going to destroy a lot of protocols on the long run. And what we're seeing that is making the very big protocols very resilient is that they're starting to shift their spending away from pure speculative value creation to actual anti-fragile system, to security, to contributors, to people that actually are necessary to keep the protocol running. You mentioned uh, in that in that response just the utility for the, the most obvious utilities for for Paladin is just the ability to borrow votes to like list new assets on protocols like Compound and Ave. It's quite a high barrier in terms of the number of tokens required, and it definitely yeah, it's not easy for the average person, which leads me to the next question. Like, like Justin Sun a few weeks ago actually did this with Compound. He he deposited a bunch of tokens. I believe it was USDC on Compound, which he used to borrow comp tokens, and he attempted to to create a proposal to list. Uh, I believe it was TUSD. But what are your thoughts on that situation? I remember seeing Mona Supply uh, creating a forum post to discuss this in the compound forums. I think this is extremely uh, important and I'm, I'm probably preaching my choir, guys. So bear in mind that I am biased. But currently, lending protocols are created for lending strategies. They are not created for governance lending, which is a very specific subset, and they do not have the right architecture to enable all of this. So I do think it's dangerous because what we've been trying to build with Paladin is a very uh, different iteration of lending protocols that is specialized in enabling people to do governance lending in a safer manner, which means that we curve the pricing depending on how much voting power you're trying to borrow compared to the proposal threshold or the quorum threshold, and we're preventing you from actually buying during a vote. All of this is not taking into account normal lending protocol, and they have more liquidity right now. So there is more incentive, for example, to do it the way Justin did, but it's also much more dangerous. And I remember seeing, for example, Ave saying they did not want to enable the vote lend lending of governance token too much because they thought it would potentially be a risk for a governance attack. I do think there is a world where we can get in the room with all of these lending protocols and try to find partnerships to avoid them from having to lend out this governance token and having them helping them manage this. Because it is a substantial risk and it can become a reputation risk. And the problem, and that's something we see a lot in crypto, is that vote lending is a very specific job. It's very complex. It has different complexities than traditional lending actually has. 
And it's much, I think, more interesting to focus on the actual value add you're doing than trying to do all of these different things together, especially in crypto, where you don't always see all the ramifications of what you're doing and might end up creating a, a larger problem. In a sense, for Compound, what happened was more interesting because it was with their own comp token. So it is normal that they should manage their own. But imagine if it was, for example, about a governance attack on Maker that was enabled through a loan on Compound. That would have been more complicated, right, in terms of reputation between the protocols, in terms of consequences. And I would not be surprised if a lot of the, of the actual lending protocols started throttling the amount of governance token you can borrow from their own protocol. Totally agree. I think we will definitely start to see projects uh, once if, if they begin to see certain types of, of of shorter term activists, which create proposals that are perceived as as hostile or, or attacks, they may adopt rules to to make it more difficult. In, in in the case of something like Justin Sun, but that's also just the trade off, right? For governance, if you're making it accessible and you're allowing people to borrow votes easily, then you will get a you will get a greater number of proposals, some of which will be good and some of which will be bad. So I think that's just the natural trade-off that any protocol has to decide on their own. Yeah, that's and that that is almost I would say a debate on a different topic, uh, which is about filtering. And that's something a lot of protocols don't do. Is how are you able to legitimately say this protocol is nefarious and should not be available to vote or it should be censored. There's an argument to say no protocol should be ever censored, right? But like every structure, association, corporation, state, DAOs actually need rules. And these rules, we're saying this a lot, I think it's kind of a best, best practice, should be enshrined into what we call a constitution. We're currently voting on our constitution that we designed with the community. If you look at ENS, they did this wonderfully too. And all the protocols should have basic rules. And once you have, like most DAOs actually do, a fail-safe multisig that actually has a veto power over governance, the only way they can veto is when they can prove that the proposal is going against the constitution. And if people are unhappy about this decision, they can vote to modify the constitution and then redo the vote. I think that would have changed a lot of discussions. For example, if you look at what happened on Curve a few months ago, there was a stablecoin called USDM by Mochi Protocol that minted a lot of their collateral and then minted a lot of the stable coins via their collateral that was minted and then dumped all of the stable coin onto the large pools they had they had gotten because they had a lot they were bribing a lot and the consequences of that was that convex and curve blacklisted the stable coin and rescinded the access they had to the gauge and that was viewed as viewed as a very complex governance decision because it was viewed as an arbitrary one my take is that if Curve or even Convex had a constitution, they would have been able to say, this is a very strict infringement from the rules that we designed and that was voted by the community. Therefore, we are removing their gauge. It's all about having the right rules and the right enforcement mechanism. And despite the scale of DAOs today, 
we do not have these rights uh, enforcement mechanism. And I do think this is very important because if you look at what we're doing with the voting market, but if you look at the market in general, if we expect more participation, if we expect more contribution, if we expect more dynamism for the DAOs, we're going to need to have the right guidelines and the right rails for people to be able to do that correctly. And today we don't have them. Yeah, I think uh, the, the it, it's certainly an interesting approach when, when projects have like an initial constitution and, and guiding philosophy that they vote on, with ENS being probably the most prominent example a few months ago. Switching topics a little bit um, as we're getting closer to the end of this episode, what are sort of other areas within DAOs generally or, or governance that Paladin's not building, but but you would like to see somebody work on? Wow, that's a, that's a very good question. I would love to see people uh, working on service DAOs for governance. I know you guys are working on it. I do think there's a lot of different subsets that we're not exploring. Lama community is doing, for example, doing it for treasury management, right? We could have it for governance proposal programming, right? Just creating the proposals. We could have it for so many different things. And I do really want to see the professionalization of DAO contribution. The problem with that is that today DAO contribution has this kind of charm where it's like uh, offbeat young characters who are just uh, jumping into the DAO and finally uh, suddenly having an opportunity to work. And then they have the dream life where they earn governance token while just working a few hours a week, which is interesting. But the more we're going to have these professional and qualitative characters, the more we're going going to need them to be more efficient in the sense that every single DAO is going to ask more milestones and they're going to employ more people and they're going to try to create a hierarchy for all of this because, and that's something that's kind of still controversial today, but we have still not found a way either uh, different than actually leader uh, governance with leadership. Vertical, uh, horizontal governance doesn't seem to work until now. You need to have like small squads of people that assembled and that organized by themselves. And what's it's going to be a huge challenge, right? Because the whole point of what we created with blockchain was that we should be able to coordinate at scale trustlessly. And today we're still not able to coordinate at scale. So I really want to see more technologies that are going to push this scaling of coordination. And I'm not sure in which shape this should happen. Yep. I was actually just talking about this uh, with my friend yesterday, but the costs to joining the DAO, learning about its history and best practice, and just overhead to contributing on an ongoing basis is quite high. Like when you join a new company, you normally get like a, a, a two a few weeks of, of specific onboarding where you're trained and given context and can ask lots of questions. That's definitely missing for DAO contributors right now in most projects. And yeah, I think once you have started working for a DAO, it is still oftentimes very difficult to, to learn and, and to have efficient and effective conversations. So I think, yeah, any kind of system or tool that makes the process easier, I think is, is going to just scale the number of committed contributors really, really well. And yeah, I'm not sure what that, what the answer is, right? It might not be a, a, I don't think it's a technological problem. I think it's a combination of simply paying people and incentivizing them to participate in governance 
and borrowing some principles from traditional companies and, and seeing what's working in terms of helping organize different groups of people. So yeah, pretty interesting to see what happens in that front over the next next year. Awesome. Any other, Romain, are there any other areas that that we should talk about or you wanted to, to bring up? I think nothing comes to mind. We've covered a very large range of topics from voting markets to participation in DAOs to the V-token model to, uh, I would say, uh, problems in the current governance participation uh, ecosystem right now. It's very dense. I do think there's a point that you finished with that I would like to finish this podcast on, and you're probably going to agree with me, but pay your contributors. It's the most important thing. If we really want people to stay, we're going to need to start paying serious money to, to the people who are actually contributing in governance. And I would argue that we shouldn't expect contributors to be full-time for a DAO. We should expect them to work for like two, three, four DAOs and to be able to be mobile. If we really want to have the big experts to really create some kind of protocol politician class, we're going to need to expect these people to be able to move from protocol to protocol. And the real governance war is not going to be in gauge access. It's going to be in the contributor who's contributing in your protocol and how much time have they been contributing. And I think that's the very bullish future we should expect from DAOs. Totally agreed. Yeah, I think with with any specific subject matter area like like risk or, or smart contract audits or even marketing and growth um, and others like that knowledge is is very relevant and transferable between different projects so if you're very good at that and, and best in class for providing that service there's going to be a lot of projects that want to work with you and if you can apply it easily to many different protocols just like traditional service providers would do in a b2b world there's no reason that's different with a DAO. So I think, yeah, we'll continue to see the definition of contributors evolve. Well, Romain, thanks for taking the time today to join this podcast. I think we had a really awesome discussion on um, a lot of different topics, ranging from, from voting markets to why bribery is, is potentially a misnomer to the be staking model and the curve wars. And yeah, I think this is a, a, a really interesting and new area of governance, voting markets that, that people haven't spent as much time on. So super interesting to get your insight here. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And it's always a pleasure discussing governance with you, Derek. Awesome. Thanks, Romain.